On today's solo podcast, I discuss calories in versus calories out, how to create a calorie deficit, what really happens within the body when we do lose weight, and I share nine weight loss tips. So let's go. So first of all, we're going to look at the calories in versus calories out model. Okay, so I'm sure it's a, a concept that a lot of people are familiar with. It's based on the idea that to maintain a stable weight, the number of calories you eat needs to match the number you expend. So calories in refers to basically the amount of calories you get from the food you eat, while calories out is the number of calories you burn. So there are three main processes that effectively burn calories for us. The first one is our basic metabolism. Your body uses most of the calories you get from food to sustain basic functions such as your heartbeat, for example. This is commonly referred to as your basal metabolic rate. Digestion is another one. Around 10 to 15% of calories we eat is used to power simple Simply digestion. This is known as the thermogenic effect of food and varies basically based on the foods you eat. The third one then is physical activity. The leftover calories you get from your diet are meant to fuel your physical activity, including maybe playing a sport, your workouts, everyday tasks like walking, reading, cleaning in the house, these would all come under your physical act. When the number of calories you take in from food matches the number of calories you burn to sustain your metabolism, digestion, and physical activity, your weight will basically remain stable. So thus, the calories in versus calories out model is strictly true. You need a calorie deficit in order to lose weight. So how do we achieve a calorie deficit? Once all your body's energy needs are met, extra calories are stored for future use, some in your muscles as glycogen, but most, unfortunately, are going to be fat. So does eating more calories than you burn will cause you to gain weight, whereas eating fewer calories than you need will cause weight loss. So while the calories in versus calories out model matters for weight loss, not all calories are created equal And when it comes to your health. That's because different foods have different effects on various processes in your body, regardless of the calorie content. So different foods can affect hormone levels in different ways also. The different effects of glucose and fructose serve as a good example. These two simple sugars basically provide the same number of calories per gram, but your body metabolizes them metabolizes them in completely different ways when we look at the different types of food you eat they will also affect how you or how full you feel so your nutrient intake basically impacts your hunger and feelings of fullness so for instance if you were to eat 100 calorie serving of beans this would reduce your hunger much more effectively than eating a 100 calorie serving of jellies for example that's because foods rich in protein or fiber are more filling than foods that contain lower amounts of nutrients 
with that being said the source of calories has different effects also on your metabolism foods affect your metabolism completely different than one another so if you're to look at for instance some require more work to digest absorb or even metabolize than others the measure used to quantify this is called the thermogenic effect of food we mentioned earlier the higher the thermogenic effect of food the more energy a food requires to be metabolized and the king of this basically is protein and that's why it's very very important when you're looking at your meal plan or your diet your nutrition that you have adequate amounts of protein protein has the highest thermogenic effect while fat has the lowest this means a high protein diets require more calories to be metabolized and it's going to have a higher thermogenic of food resulting in you burning more calories this is why eating protein is often said to boost your metabolism to a greater extent than eating say high carbs or high fat dense foods if we shift the focus then on to nutrients the amount of nutrients a food contains per calorie can also vary vastly nutrient dense foods basically provide higher amounts of vitamins minerals and other beneficial compounds per gram compared to less nutrient dense foods so for instance if you were to look at fruits are much more nutrient dense than bread or donuts for example calories calorie for calorie fruit will provide a much larger dose of vitamins minerals and looking at it from plant compounds other examples of nutrient-dense foods would be vegetables, whole grains, meat, fish, poultry, dairy products, some nuts and seeds as well. So on the other hand, if you look at processed foods, like so white pasta, you know, chips, ice cream, alcohol, they're considered to have low nutrient density. So you have to look at your high dense and your low dense foods as well you're also looking at your diet and from a meal plan perspective obviously diets rich in nutrient dense foods are consistently linked to a lower risk of diseases such as you know diabetes heart disease and may even help you know prolong your life expectancy and that's again it's another negative thing when it comes to the calories in versus calories out model it fails to take in the nutrient density of certain foods as well so let's shift the focus now and look at the importance of a calorie deficit as we mentioned earlier we spoke earlier obviously calories are units of energy you get from foods and different drinks for example when you consume fewer calories than you burn you're effectively achieving your calorie deficit so the calories you burn or expend each day total up to your total calorie expenditure these will include again three important components i mentioned one of them earlier the thermogenic effect of food obviously involving the calories your body expends digesting absorbing and metabolizing foods you have your resting energy expenditure refers to the calories your body uses at rest function to keep us alive obviously breathing blood circulation heart pumping the other one then is activity energy expenditure this refers to the calories 
we expend during our training, playing sports, um, walking to the bus, walking upstairs every day in, in our house. So if we provide our body with fewer calories than it needs to support these three components, they, we're effectively putting ourselves into a calorie deficit. One thing when it comes to a calorie deficit, we need to obviously have a starting point. So we need to look at calculating our calorie needs. For most people, I'm sure you've heard it through social media or from learning experience from the gym yourselves, a calorie deficit of 500 calories per day is sufficient for weight loss and unlikely to significantly affect your hunger or your energy levels. In order to create the calorie deficit, you need to know what your maintenance calories are. So basically, for those who don't know, your maintenance calories are precisely the number of calories your body needs to support energy expenditure. You can use calorie calculators online. I also have one. There's a one in the link in my, in my bio on my own website, on my Instagram page, if you want to go ahead and use that. Our next step then is to, once we've gathered what our maintenance calories are, and to look at different ways in which we can achieve our calorie deficit. So you can achieve it calorie deficit by consuming fewer calories or increasing your physical activity levels or a combination of both, obviously. So that being said, it may be easier and more sustainable to create a calorie deficit through diet rather than exercise alone. For certain people, they might not have the time, the energy, or motivation to exercise daily. Also, exercise doesn't burn as many calories as many people actually think. What we're really saying here, it may be easier to eat 500 fewer calories each day than to burn this number of calories through exercise for certain population. But obviously, I do recommend that you engage in some sort of physical activity, whether it's resistance training or it's some aerobic-based cardiovascular work when it's going for a walk or for a light jog or a run. So assuming you've achieved your calorie deficit and we are going to assume that we are burning fat as a result, where exactly does it go? It's a common question that most of my clients would ask me as well. So as the process of fat loss progresses, your fat cells, they actually drastically shrink in size. So this is where you're going to see that visible changes in body composition. And there's certain byproducts of fat loss as well. When fat is broken down for energy through again, complex processes that occur within the cells, there's two major byproducts and that is carbon dioxide and water. The carbon dioxide is exhaled during breathing and the water is disposed of through either obviously your urine, your sweat or exhaled air. So disposal of these products is obviously hugely elevated during exercise due to increased breathing and sweating. So the next natural step or question in the process I, I generally get asked would be, is it possible to spot reduce fat loss? Um, it's generally people obviously want to lose it from 
around their stomach, their hips, their thighs, for example. But unfortunately, it has been shown that it is actually impossible to spot reduce. Although some people will lose weight in certain areas faster than others. And that's down to certain, you know, lifestyle factors. It could be genetic and they will play a huge role in body fat distribution. Again, if you have a history of weight loss and weight regain, body fat may distribute different due to changes in fat cells over a period of time as well. If we look at the timeline of fat loss, this is going to vary greatly depending on how much weight you aim to lose, the duration of your fat loss journey can vary drastically. So if we're looking for the negative side of it and you're looking at rapid weight loss, you know, it's been associated with huge negative side effects as well, which people tend to ignore, such as micronutrient deficiency, severe headaches, fatigue, severe muscle loss, and for women in particular, menstrual irregularities also. I would advocate for a slow, gradual rate of weight loss. But due to the expectation, people tend to obviously go for your rapid approach. But again, it's not going to be sustainable over long periods of time. People's own knowledge around these processes the expected rate of weight loss varies with from person to person. So for those with or who are overweight or obese, a weight loss of five to ten percent of your starting body weight over probably the first six months may be possible. Okay. With comprehensive, I stress comprehensive lifestyle interventions such as diet, physical activity, and I would put in there also behavioral techniques. And I try to employ those with a lot of my clients as well. We have to look at it from a couple of different angles also. There are going to be a number of different factors that are going to affect weight loss, such as gender, age, the extent of the calorie deficit. And one thing that really does get ignored is sleep quality another thing people neglect as well or forget to mention to their pt particularly at the start is certain medications often affect people's weight and they mightn't necessarily be fully aware of this so that's why it's obviously very very important to disclose this information to your personal trainer your dietitian also when and hopefully you are successful in your journey. Once you've reached your desired body weight, your calorie intake really should be adjusted then to maintenance, to maintain your weight. It should be mentioned that you should obviously continue to exercise regularly and continue to eat a balanced and nutritious diet in order to prevent weight regain and to promote overall health. Finally, I'm going to share nine fat loss tips that could possibly help you to lose weight faster or even help you to lose more. Number one, eat a high protein breakfast. 
So eating a high protein breakfast could help reduce cravings and calorie intake throughout the day. Two, avoid sugary drinks and fruit juices as well. Empty calories from sugar aren't useful to your body and can hinder weight loss. Number three, drink water before meals. Seen a recent study show that drinking water before meals reduced calorie intake and may be also effective in weight management. Number four, choose weight loss friendly foods. Some foods are better for weight loss than others, obviously. Number five, eat soluble fiber. All right, I've seen another study recently where soluble fibers may help to promote weight loss. Fiber supplements can also be helpful in that manner if you find or struggle to eat or consume um, more fiber. Number six, drink coffee or tea. A lot of people will be happy about that. Caffeine consumption can help boost your metabolism. Seven, base your diet on whole foods. They're healthier, they're more filling, and much less likely to cause overeating than certain processed foods. Number eight, eat slowly. Now, this is tough and I struggle with this one myself. Eating quickly can lead to weight gain over time, while eating slowly makes you feel more full and boosts weight-reducing hormones. And last but not least, number nine, one of the most important ones is get good quality sleep. Sleep is important for many reasons, but poor sleep is one of the biggest risk factors when it comes to weight gain. I really hope you enjoyed these tips. As always, you can get me on Instagram or on Facebook if you'd like any more advice or to discuss anything from today's show. I'll see you all again next week.